Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for every person that's in the room. God, we are a people that believe that all scriptures God breathes and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that every one of us could be thoroughly equipped for every good work that you've called us to. And so, Lord, our simple prayer this morning before we dive in is that the word of God would have its way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, I want to start with a uh, single verse out of the Gospel of John. It's, it's John chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking of his intentions towards our lives. Let's read it together. It says in John 10, 10, it says, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full Till it overflows. Let me read that last part one more time. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. By a show of hands, how many of you believe that it's God's will for you to experience abundant life in the physical, mental, emotional, relational, financial, and spiritual areas of your life? Come on, wave your hand at me if you believe that today. Yeah, man, I agree. Listen, because of this truth, we are intentionally unpacking seven biblical principles in this series um, that I believe will help us experience not only success, but the abundant life in all of those areas. Now, in case you've missed the past couple of weeks, the four principles we've already covered uh, throughout this series. Number one is this, as we said, that I will take responsibility. Number two was, I will seek wisdom. Number three was, I will be a person of action. And number four, which was last week, was I have a decided heart. Now, if you've missed any of those, uh, I would encourage you to go check out the podcast. But today we're going to turn our attention to uh, the fifth decision that we're going to make. And, and I want you to know that on the surface level, this principle may not seem of great significance, but, but I can't stress to you enough that it has the ability to do two things. It can either unravel the first four decisions we made, or it can hold them all together. And so in my mind, it's really important, so I encourage you to lean in. Amen? All right, to get us off and running, I want us to read about an encounter that Jesus had with ten lepers and for context, I'm sure most of us already know this, but, but leprosy is an awful disease. I think we can all agree with that. It, it not only affects a person's skin, but if it's uh, you know, kind of left untreated, it has the ability to disfigure a person greatly. Now, if we rewind all the way back to 2,000 years ago, uh, you know, when a person contracted leprosy, it was, it was considered their death certificate. You know, by the time we're reading this portion of Scripture, there had only been two people in the history of man that God had healed. Everybody else had leprosy died. Okay, so but before they died, due to how contagious leprosy was, uh, they would also endure a uh, an incredible amount of pain because they were considered outcasts of society. And so we know that that once a person was discovered to be leprous, uh, what would happen was they would force them from their home, they would force them away from their family and friends, away from the synagogue they had worship in, or from the village they lived in. Uh, literally, if if you got leprosy, you lost everything. 
And so in order to survive, what so many people did is they would go to the outskirts of town where they would gather with other people who had leprosy. And, and there they would basically, you know, kind of uh, bind or group together and they would depend on the mercy of other people to come and bring them the things that they needed. And so with that in mind, I want us to pick up Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It says this. It says, now on his way, talking about Jesus, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border or the outskirts of town between Samaria and Galilee. It says, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity or have mercy on us. Now, I love the next four words. Don't miss them because they're key. It says, when he saw them. Notice it doesn't say when he saw their disease or when he saw their condition as outcast. It says when he saw them. I believe when he looked at them, he saw ten sons, he saw ten husbands, ten fathers who were loved and who were born with a purpose. Amen? And then it says, he said, go show yourself to the priest. Now the reason he said that was because according to Levitical law, the priest was the only one that could declare them healed and allow them to re-enter back into society. Now it goes on to say, it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, somebody say one. one. It says one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back or he turned around, praising God in a loud voice. Now here's the whole reason we're reading this. Verse 16, it says that that one guy threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him or he expressed his gratitude. And he was a Samaritan. Verse 17 says, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one, has not all ten of you returned to give praise or gratitude to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. In other words, your faith has given you your life back. Now, you may be sitting here today going, man, what in the world does this you know, portion of Scripture have to do with me? I think if you and I know it or not, I don't believe we were that different than these ten lepers. Spiritually speaking, when it came to the kingdom of God, we too were outcasts because you and I were unclean in our sin. Right? But, but thankfully, in a similar way, Jesus looked past our condition, he looked past our shortcomings, past our failures, past our weaknesses, past our sin, and he saw us as men and women who were loved created in the image of God, and who were born with a divine purpose. Watch this. And in doing so, Jesus became our high priest so that he could offer us the abundant life we just read about that only comes to his death and resurrection. And, and so all of us in this room may have put our trust in the work of the cross. What has he done? He has actually given us our life back that the leprosy of sin stole from us at the fall. It's called salvation. Right? So, so in light of this, I believe why God chose to put this story in the Bible is because like that one Samaritan who turned around to give thanks that he desires for you and I to be grateful people. Now, to elaborate on this, the word grateful means this. It means to show a deep appreciation for the kindness or benefits received. To show a deep appreciation for the kindness or the benefits received. Gang, that's who God desires for us to be. People who are grateful not only for the salvation we received, but more importantly, that we're grateful to Him as the one who gave us that salvation and the innumerable amount of blessings that you and I enjoy every day. See, this is why the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the early church. He said this in Colossians chapter 2. He said, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. 
It says, strengthen in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with what? With thankfulness. I love what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says. It says, rejoice always. That means be joyful at all times. It says, pray continually. Watch verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, in light of those verses, just maybe out of curiosity, like, is there anyone here other than me that's willing to admit that you don't always have the best attitude and you don't always demonstrate a heart of gratefulness? Yeah, there's about, uh, maybe about 70% in the room. The rest of you have nailed it, all right? So proud of you guys. You're amazing. We aspire to be like you, all right? Now, in light of that, I want to take a moment to share what I believe are uh, the two greatest enemies of a grateful heart. And I think when I say these, you're, you're going to be very familiar with them because I think we're all guilty of them. Got quiet. The first great enemy is this, that, that erodes or robs gratefulness from our heart is this. Number one is complaining. The word complain means this. It means to express dissatisfaction, resentment, and to find faults. To express dissatisfaction, resentment, and to find fault. I, I think there's no secret in this. You know, pretty much all around us, people are uh, constantly complaining about things they don't like. And in fact, complaining has become, the, the only way I know how to put it, it, it's become such an acceptable part of our culture that all you and I have to do is click a few buttons and we can even watch professional complainers <laughs> who get paid loads of money to find fault and to express their dissatisfaction uh, basically about any and everything in the world for hours on end. It's called what? The news, right? In addition to that, man, it's like it's trickled down, man. Folks are murmuring not only about the government, but their job, their school, their church, the, you know, the set list, the, the, the communion, the bills, the homework, the parking spot they got at Walmart, right? Their pet, their family, their, their house, their chores, their weather. Are you following me? Their husband's bad breath, what their wife cooked last night for dinner, right? In other words, it, it's, it's crazy how we so naturally express our dissatisfaction. And of course, that ranges anywhere from longstanding issues that we've seen in our world and our society all the way to temporary inconveniences. It's like complaining has become as easy as breathing air. <laughs> right? So with that said, let, let's be honest real quick. Just out of curiosity, I'm just trying to find out if I'm the, if I'm the only sinner in the room today. Is this, is that, is there anyone in here that would admit that you have complained, expressed your dissatisfaction, or found fault with something or someone over the past month? Whew, I'm not alone. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, Bubba did not raise his hand, okay? <laughs> We're so proud of you, Bubba, for the, your growth. Man, we aspire to be like you. All right, listen, the Bible says this about these things, Philippians 2. It says, in everything, somebody say everything. That's a big ask, isn't it? <laughs> in everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. James 5, 9 kind of tells you why. It says, do not complain or grumble against one another so that you will not be judged for it. See, I like what Matthew 12 says. We don't have it on the screen, but it literally says that we'll be held accountable for every careless word that we say. Come on, that's a sobering thought, yeah? All right, the second enemy of a grateful heart is this, and this is kind of the, the sin that we don't talk about a lot. It's called envy. In the Greek language, the word envy implies this, implies a, a deep-felt grudge 
Because someone possesses what a person wishes was his own. Let me say that again. A deeply felt grudge because someone possesses what a person wishes was his own. You see, at the core, envy always says, why them and not me? Right? Therefore, envy is simply, don't miss this, is resenting other people who already have something we want and believe the lie that we will never be happy until we get it. See, that's why an envious person thinks things like this. We, we don't come out and say it, but we think things like, man, if I just had a different spouse, then I'd be happy like them. If I just had children, then I would be happy like them. Right? If my children were out of the house, then I would be happy like them. Did you notice how quick that changed? Yeah, something happens when you get them, right? It, it says, if, if I had another job, then I'd be happy like them. If I have more money or that car or that house or their hair or their clothes or their bank account or whatever, fill in your blank. Like, if I had that, then I would be happy like them. But all that's a lie, gang, right? Like, it's foolish to believe that genuine joy could ever be found in anything that comes from the what-ifs of life. And the reason is because that kind of what-if thinking always hinges on how we compare it to someone else. See, that's why God said this, Ecclesiastes 6.9. He said, it is better to be satisfied. Somebody say satisfied. It's better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else. 1 Corinthians 3.3 says this. It says, for where there are envy, strife, and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? What's he saying? He's saying basically envy doesn't look good on God's kids. That's what he's saying, right? So, so here's kind of the point I'm trying to make is, is with those two enemies in mind, like can we see how they erode gratitude from our hearts? Like it erodes it. It never promotes gratitude. And, and the reason I say that is because it's impossible to be complaining and grateful at the same time. It's impossible to be envious and grateful at the same time. Like it just doesn't work that way. So listen, if you're taking notes, let me give you three real quick takeaways and then we'll shift gears. So the first one is this, is I want you to understand that an ungrateful heart always produces a lack of contentment. Like if you want to lose your joy and your peace, and if you want to stay aggravated and frustrated, and if you want to have zero contentment in your life, then all you have to do is embrace complaining, being envious, and an ungrateful heart, and it's free. It could be yours. Right? That hurt. <laughs> Takeaway number two is this, is an ungrateful heart doesn't change anything. Like if there's something I could bore down to my own heart today because I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody in the room, it, it would be this point. An ungrateful heart doesn't change anything. Like think about it. When was the last time you complained about the weather and it changed? Let me talk to you church people for a second. When's the last time you complained about the fella sitting in the Oval Office and it changed? When's the last time you complained about the way you look and it changed? You can stare at that mirror and gripe all day long, right? Listen, when's the last time you complained about your spouse or your children or your job or your school and things change? Enough said. Nothing, right? And, and the reason is because, like, grab a hold of this. Complaining is a total waste of time and energy, and I'm preaching to myself. It is a complete, total waste of time and energy. And the reason is because it adds no value to our lives. 
Most of us in this room know the definition of insanity. It's what? It's doing the same thing again and again and again and again and expecting a different outcome. That's what complaining is. It's insanity. Because we keep getting all worked up and we go, ah, start blabbing at the mouth. Guess what? And nothing changes. Don't, well, let me say this. That's a lie. Something does change. Our heart. Our attitude, right? It does change. So, let me tell you why, why nothing ever changes, why nothing ever works when we complain. Let's look at back at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. Let's add a verse this time. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life. Now watch the next words. Do not quench or do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So here's the third takeaway I want us to grab a hold of is this, is that an ungrateful heart always grieves the Holy Spirit. See, the reason complaining never changes anything is because it grieves the one who is the agent of change. Like, do we understand that nothing changes in this world without the Holy Spirit being involved? Right? And so if we complain, we're going in opposite current than him. Because complaining is, I got news flash for you, Christian. Complaining is not faith. Right? So think about this as an example. Think about the Israelites for a moment. What does the Bible say? It says again and again and again, repeatedly, that, that, that the Israelites did not enter into the promised land because of one reason, because they complained. That's where the old saying is, if you complain, you remain, came from. So, so to think that, that these guys didn't fulfill their destiny because they had an ungrateful heart, and, and here's kind of the way it comes to me. Like, it's hard to fulfill your destiny when you're constantly grieving the author and the fulfiller of it. Right? <laughs> I'll say it again upon request. That it's hard to fulfill your destiny when you're constantly grieving the author and the fulfiller of it. All right, so I know all that sounds strong, but here's the good news. Is, is if all those guys could hinder themselves from reaching their destiny by being ungrateful, then wouldn't it mean that you and I have the ability to launch ourselves into our destiny if we become grateful? Yes. So because of that, I want to give you three things. Real quick, this is really the meat of what we're going to talk about. Three things, three ways, I'm said that way, of how we can cultivate a grateful heart. The first thing is key. Number one is this, is we have to understand that gratitude is a choice. That gratitude is a choice. Now, you guys know I've talked about the book, The Traveler's Gift, here recently. And just to, to quote Anne Frank's character, from the traveler's gift when she was asked what she complains about. Listen to what she said. Get it down in you. She replied this. She said, I do not complain. Papa says complaining is an activity just as jumping rope or listening to the radio is an activity. One may choose to turn on the radio or one may choose not to turn on the radio. One may choose to complain and one may choose not to complain. I choose not to complain. And then she added these memorable words. Get this, our very lives are fashioned by choice. First we make choices, then our choices make us. What's it talking about? The Bible says we reap what we sow. Words are seeds that we sow into our lives. Right? That's why the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue, and though who loves it, loves those words, will eat the fruit of it. If you speak life, you get to eat that kind of fruit. If you speak death, you get to eat that kind of fruit. 
It's a, it's a, it's a God-ordained principle that cannot and will not change. So I want to repeat something. Being grateful or being ungrateful is simply a choice. It's no different than this morning you chose to put on whatever you have to put on. You chose to brush your teeth or not. You chose to drive here or not. It, it, life is made of choices in the same way you and I can choose to be grateful or not. I know that's simplifying it, but it really is that simple. Now, kind of as I say that, what I hear in my heart is this. Like I can hear certain people thinking, well, I think God's okay with it when we're not grateful. Like he understands stuff we go through. He understands difficult moments in my life. Let's look back at our key verse, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Verse 18, give thanks, what? In all circumstances. For this is the will of God for your life. If you want to know what your will is, what God's will is for your life, it's that you would be thankful. Now, in the Greek language, the words in all circumstances means this. It means in any, in all, in everything, anyone, all the time, anywhere, everywhere, the whole thing, with no exception, no excuses, and no exemptions. Help us, Jesus. Am I the only one that feels that way? Whew. All right. I want to give you maybe what I would consider to be the best example that I've ever heard of that scripture coming into play in someone's life. And so if you can, just lean in with me for a moment. Um, what I'm about to read comes from The Hiding Place by Corey Timboom. So in the book, basically, Corey describes how she and her sister Betsy were were sent to this awful prison camp known as Ravensbrück, if you've ever read the book. It, that was the notorious women's extermination camp uh, that was run by the Nazis in World War II. Here we go. Follow me here. It says, as prisoners 66729 and 66730, uh, she said they were led to a large gray barrack where half of the windows were broken out, the plumbing was backed up, and the bedding was soiled and rancid. For beds, they were given straw-covered platforms stacked three high. Each layer of the platform was originally designed to sleep four women, but due to the cramped conditions, nine ladies shared a single bed. And there were times where there'd be so much weight on one of those, it would actually break and crush the ladies that were underneath them. So overall, the room that they were in was made to hold 400 people, uh, but they actually shared it with 1,400 other people. Okay, so, so they were 1,400 people shoved into space, and, and, and with 1,400 people, they only had eight overflowing toilets to serve all of them. Now, can you imagine how many things that we could find to complain about in a situation like that? But listen to what Corey wrote, and I hope I can do this justice. Here's what she said, quoting her. It says, we laid back on the bed, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from reeking straw. Then suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above, I mean the platform above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming in them. We scrambled across the intervening platforms to a patch of light. Here and here, another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? As Corey wailed, Betsy began to pray, show us, show us how, Lord. Corey, 
she said excitedly, he has given us the answer. Before we ask, as he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. Corey said in the feeble light, she turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to all. Go on, Betsy said. That wasn't all. Oh, yes, to another one and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. Corey wrote, I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, such as... Such as being assigned here together, I bit my lip, oh yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands, I looked down at the Bible, yes. Thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, Betsy said, thank you for the very crowding here, since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly, Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy continued, for the fleas and for the fleas. This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood and gave thanks for fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. I hope I'm doing that halfway justice. For the sake of time, let me say this. Betsy wasn't wrong. She was right. (laughs) Come to find out all of those fleas that were like a plague in that area where those 1,400 women slept, uh, those fleas that they thanked God for that day was the very reason that the Nazi guards refused to enter into that barrack, which meant that Corey and Betsy had free reign to pull out their Bible, to lead Bible studies, and to pray for hundreds of other women from Holland, from Poland, from France, from Belgium, and from Austria. And what's so cool, if you read the story, you find that in the middle of that opportunity, hundreds of them came to know Jesus as their Savior. And some of them, even like the day before, Uh, They were executed by the Nazis. To me, this story serves as as a reminder that, how can I say this, that we can give thanks in every circumstance because we trust that God not only has the end result in mind like he did with them, but we can also see that he can turn the good and even do miracles and things that we consider bad. Like, I hope that makes sense. So, so to me, it's like, if I, if I could just convey, does, does he allow difficult things to build our faith and character? Yes. Can he fulfill his promises in the midst of our pain and suffering? Yes. Can he still turn what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good? Yes. Does, listen, does choosing to give thanks turn our eyes off of whatever awful circumstance we're in onto him? Yes. And is he still good even in really, really, really bad circumstances? Yes. So, so listen, if we're going to be people that have a grateful heart, then we got to remember, man, that the first way we cultivate a grateful heart is that it begins with the choice that we will choose to be grateful. 
all circumstances. The second way we cultivate a heart of gratitude is by remembering, please, this sounds so simple, but don't miss it, that everything and everyone is a gift. That everything and everyone is a gift. And I want to start with everything. Like, like how many self-made people have we met over the years? Like, how many people say things like this, or they think, you know, oh, I built this with my bare hands. And it's like, but who gave you those hands? They think, I dreamed up and created this by myself. But who gave them the minds to create? They think, I earned this by the sweat of my own brow. But who gave them the ability to work so hard? The answer is God, God, God. See, that's why the Bible says this real sobering, humbling verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great? And as though you have accomplished something on your own. Now let's talk about everyone. Listen, when we begin to view people as a means to an end or an object to help us get from A to B, or as someone that's just simply there to meet our needs, or someone that we have to tolerate or fix, man, we've completely missed the point of what God designed relationships to be about. Right? Paul made this simple statement that I want to get in our hearts today. He said this in Philippians 1 verse 3. He said, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I know that's simple, but isn't it amazing to to actually sit back and think that the first thought that Paul had concerning the people who filled the church of Philippi was one of gratitude? Now, now as I say that, here's what I I sense. It's like this. Well, that's because he didn't have to live with them. Or, well, that's because he doesn't have to work with them. Listen, it's true, the, the longer we know someone, the closer we get, the more likely we are to take uh, that person for granted because we all know their faults and their smells. But am I the only one that's ever noticed when we start overly focusing on someone's fault, how when we do that, immediately the relationship starts to go south? Like, that's when we get in trouble. So, so can you imagine how different we would see and feel about people if we chose to start focusing on things that we're grateful for rather than things that get on our nerves. I think it would probably change our attitude and our moods towards those people greatly. So here's the point I'm getting at. When when we don't approach everything and everyone as gifts, then it doesn't matter if if it's a work project, if it's a material possession, or if it's a relationship, we'll begin to have an attitude that believes that we deserve it and that we're entitled to it. Whatever, whoever it is, right? But when we begin to choose to not only see them as the gifts they are, but to also express our thanks, A, to God for giving us everything that we have, and B, for all those people, for just how grateful we are we'd have a relationship with them, that begins to cultivate a heart of gratitude in us. So let me, let me maybe just say this, because I think we all understand if I, if I express my gratitude with God, like Pastor Brown was praying earlier, then it's going to make my relationship with God healthier, But can you imagine that, like, take the person that frustrates you the most. You may have to lay beside them every night. I don't know, okay? But but take take the person that frustrates you the most. Can you imagine how different your relationship would be? Like, if it's an employee, if it's your boss, whatever it is. 
That if you started saying, okay, I'm going to affirm them, I'm going to give them affirmation, I'm going to tell them how amazing they are, I'm going to express to them my, basically how grateful I am for them. Can you imagine if we started doing that on a regular basis, how much it would choke out the negative thoughts that we have about them, and how much it would probably change our relationship with that person? Here's the third way. Third way we cultivate a heart of gratitude is by, and this is really simple, and this is really where Pastor Brian ended his prayer. He didn't know what I was preaching. I told him, I said, you prayed my sermon. He said, well, he said, well, we can go home then. <laughs> that was kind of hateful, but, but I'm here. Okay, so it's all good. <laughs> I'm joking. All right, here's the third way we can cultivate a heart of gratitude. It's by remembering to maintain perspective, to maintain perspective. Like, I really want us to think about this. Like, go with me for a moment. Like, how often do we take for granted what we consider to be all the little things in life? Like, like a roof over our head. Running water and electricity in our homes. Heat. AC, bless God. Food on the table. Clothes on our back. A toilet to flush. 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 That's key part there. Working vehicles a consistent income, an education, a place to go dump our trash, a place to gather for worship, a Bible. In short, I'm saying a great nation to live in that allows us to have all these opportunities and luxuries that you and I so readily enjoy. Are you seeing where I'm going here? As people who live in a modern-day civilization, we, we tend to focus on the things that we don't have and we forget the things that we do have. And I know there's people in this room that have had this opportunity as well, but over the past few years, I've had the privilege to go to other countries where people don't have all those things we just listed. Like, it's not there, right? They don't have windows. They don't even really have a real door. They don't have a toilet. They got a hole in the ground. There is no electricity. There is no water. They have to hike however long to get it and bring it back, and it's putrid. There are no refrigerators. Am I making sense? So, so all I'm saying is this, is, is, yeah, Thanksgiving next week. Yes, this is a timely message. It fell right in place. But, but man, we're a blessed people. So for most of us, I, I think there's a verse that we need to remember. It's one that I try to, to remember because I think it speaks to who I am today. I will say, once again, I'm not saying this just to be cute, but, man, Physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, and spiritually, this verse speaks. So let's be to us. First Chronicles 17, 16. It says, Then King David went in. This could be any of us. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house? What is my family that you have brought me this far? Does that make sense, y'all? Like, who are we... To have what we have, it is only by the grace of God. So I think if we want to cultivate a grateful heart, then I believe it's imperative for us to maybe take a step back and not only gain, but to maintain a proper perspective of the goodness of God in our lives. So if you remember going all the way back to the top, I said this. I said that the the fifth principle, the fifth decision, has the ability to, to either unravel or hold together all the other decisions. So think about this with me for a moment before we land this thing. 
Do you know how hard it is to take responsibility when you're an ungrateful person? Ungrateful people, it's a cycle. They blame everybody. Do you know how hard it is to seek wisdom when you're not grateful? The reason I say it is because ungrateful people are entitled, so they don't need to seek anything. Everybody just needs to give it to them. Even this sense of, do you know how hard it is to be a person of action when you're an ungrateful person? Once again, I don't have to do anything. Everybody should just do everything around me because, because I'm, I'm the God of this earth and everybody should serve me. Why should I do anything? It's about what I want anyways. Even the last one, how hard is it to have a decided heart when you're ungrateful? And the reason I say it is because if you're ungrateful, you'll definitely get caught up in all the things you don't have, complaining, envy, and you'll run a completely different direction. So, so if we want to fulfill the four decisions that we've been talking about before to, today, then guess what? We need to possess a grateful heart. Like we need to choose to be grateful. Amen? So here's the final question I have. If you want to just close your eyes and, uh, and then we're going to pray. Here's the question is how can a heart of gratitude change our lives? According to Psalm 100, gratefulness escorts us into the presence of God. So if we want to be closer to God, then we need to be grateful. The more grateful we are, the more we're in His presence, and the more we'll get to know Him. Second thing is this, is that gratefulness, according to what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, it unlocks the will of God for our lives. Like it is very hard to discover what God's will for your life if you're griping about everything and complaining about everything. Next one is this. Is that gratefulness, it produces joy, peace, forgiveness, compassion, contentment, and a whole lot of other stuff in our hearts. Next one is this. Did y'all know that gratefulness attracts and builds stronger relationships? Did you know that? Like, do you understand if you're a grateful person, it will help you get better jobs? It will help you get raises? It will give you favor with people? Who wants to hire a cantankerous person? This stuff works, y'all. Yes? And last is this, is, and this is medically proven. I could give you studies, but I don't have time. Is that gratefulness actually makes us physically mentally and emotionally healthier that when you and i say grateful words out of your mouth it releases chemicals in our body that actually makes us feel happier wow i didn't think about this until this moment no wonder and i know it's not for everybody but no wonder they call christmas the happiest time of the year because everybody's expressing their gratitude amen So let's close today by making the decision internally in our own heart that we'll choose to be grateful. If you guys will just bow your head real quick. Um, And just as a sign of surrender, and we're just going to be open and honest with Jesus today. If you've even complained a little bit this week, let's just raise our hands and say, Jesus, we're giving you our complaint. So everybody raise your hands with me. (laughs) All right. So Jesus, we are so thankful, God that you'll, you'll take anything away from us that we want to give to you. 
And just like in that story today, God, we are choosing to turn down the complaint. Like we're turning on or off a radio, we're turning it off. And we're just asking Jesus that we, you would show us and give us opportunities to be grateful, God. But we wanna grow in our gratitude because we wanna know you more. We wanna be released into what we, we are called to do into our destiny. We want new joy in our life. We want freedom from the bondage of just holding grudges. Lord, we just ask right now, God, that you would just come into this place. Holy Spirit, begin to reveal in our hearts areas where we need to just turn that complaint off. And Lord, we are choosing to not complain and we're choosing to walk in gratitude. So this week, Lord, give us opportunities to show our gratitude to others, to our family members, to our spouses, to our children, to our bosses, to our coworkers. Lord, grow us in our gratitude so that they will know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.